Welcome to Sweeping the Country. Once again, that's right, we're back. And today, a very special vault episode. Here to introduce you to, uh, well, hang him high, Dirty Harry. Uh, let's see, Mr. Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's, it's, is, he, is there a bigger movie star of the last 50 years than Clint Eastwood? I, can't I don't think know who it would be. Yeah, I can't think of one. I don't know who it would be. I mean, he has been guaranteed money for so long, since the 60s, when he was a television actor in a show called Rawhide and oh, had a chance God. to make a Western over in Italy, mm. you know, and then did all these movies, the good, the bad, and the ugly, hang them high, oh, fistful of dollars and that type of thing. And then he was established and those things were, were wildly successful. But then think of the dirty Harry series oh, that went, at least went four, maybe five. I can't remember I all, can't all the different ones. All and what a classic film that was uh, play Misty for me, where he played a oh. disc jockey. What a great movie that we're in the line of fire. The oh, director of yeah. that movie uh, just died this week. And that was a good one where he played a secret service agent. And then more recent times we were uh, together at this particular time for a movie that ended up. I don't, I don't, I'm not crazy about this movie, Okay, go. but it was at the time and it was just what it needed to be. So he could win the Academy award. And so he was doing some publicity. We sat down and my boss, at the television station, played golf with him. And so that was kind of an icebreaker. Mm -hmm. I could have been extremely nervous, and I was to a point, because I don't have any movie stars. I mean, there's Elvis, there's Clint Eastwood, and Sean Connery for me, and those were – and then you get some of the Beatles, and then after that, we're done. I mean, right. with things that I'm just knocked out by. So to get a chance to sit with Clint Eastwood, wow. And so here we go. I was excited about meeting you. When's the last time you got excited about meeting somebody? Was there anybody that you, when you were coming up, that you got all wound up about? Um, I, I, was, I was thinking the other day uh, about people I didn't meet that I'd like to have met, and one person was Nat King Cole. Mm -hmm. And I uh, was at a party he was attending years ago when I was on Rawhide, and there was a big party up in, uh, in Nevada. And he was in the room, and I was I was going to go over and say hello, and I didn't do it. And I thought, and I, I regret it. Of course, he passed away. Mm -hmm. But I always uh, thought, why didn't I go over and, and, and just stick out my hand? And was something like a John Wayne a big deal, or not really? Uh, yeah, I met uh, John Wayne. Uh, um, actually, he came to a tennis tournament that I put on in uh, Pebble Beach, and his wife was a big. But tennis you were a star by that point. Yeah, yeah. I had been playing in, in films. You no, know, I didn't meet him when I was. Uh, uh, unknown at, at that I didn't have that pleasure I I'd never met uh, most of those guys Gary Cooper I met I think when I was doing Rawhide some people like that I was reading in this Arthur Knight interview and, and others and I never really understood it they said you know you were from the Mount Rushmore School of Acting well to me <laughs> Mount Rushmore is George Washington and uh, some of those and you're in pretty, yeah, good, pretty company. good guys up there yeah uh, when did you learn less is more I think just going to uh, Going to acting schools over the years, uh, and you, you, and then just sort of observation. You watch people uh, act, and um, and then you, you kind of uh, uh, different drama coaches. Uh, sometimes I, I used to know a drama coach who said, "Don't just do something; stand there." In other words, there was sort of a, uh, just a parody on the old uh, saying, and and they they would do. Uh, is that there, it wasn't always what you were doing gymnastically, but it's what you're doing inside and what you're thinking inside. And, and, and that's if, harder, really, isn't it? And if it? you're projecting the right thoughts, then, then the people will reach forward to you. And if you're not, then they're not going to be listening anyway. They're going to dial out. Steve McQueen used to say about don't make anything too long that you have to say. 
Well, that's true, that's, and that's an editing judgment. If you've got material that's long, expository, it's something the audience already knows, then you're going to bore them to death anyway. That's a, that's a selection process, but you as the performer has to, has to deliver a lot of times a lot of stuff that you really don't think is very well constructed. And if that's the case, you, uh, you have to deliver it. That's a great exercise, too. Television teaches you that. And McQueen ought to have known he was on the Wanted Dead or Alive, mm -hmm. and he had to do it all. If you had to choose between an Oscar or a number one record as an artist, what would you pick? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't know uh, what. I don't see how those were are even uh, status symbols. I mean, they're like recognition factors to be a mark of a success in music or a mark of a success in a word. In Austin. well, I, I think. Uh, an, a number one box office movie would be more analogous to a number one record, okay. wouldn't you think? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know, and then, uh, as opposed to a Grammy to an Oscar. Yes, yeah, true. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I never think of either one of them. Uh, when I do a movie, I just do it for what the values I think, and I hope naturally you, you hope someone wants to see it. Noah, I think, makes a movie for uh, empty houses, and I'm sure everyone who cuts a record probably feels. Wouldn't it be great if it got up there on the charts and people wanted to listen to it? Um, but while you're doing it, you kind of have to think in terms of doing it and not what the result's going to be. The results is once you turn that record into, uh, you mint that record and put it on the market, it belongs to someone else after that. It belongs to the public. And the same with a movie. Once the movie's turned over and it starts playing, that's it's no longer mine anymore. And that's. Music is a great love for you. I mean, I was reading back, you were playing piano really for money and beer at the age of 17 at the Omar Club. <laughs> Very little somewhere. money and a lot of beer, yeah. <laughs> the Omar Club in Oakland, yeah, that was, uh, those were some, some great days and uh, we were just a bunch of kids. But you still enjoy picking, I think, and, and like you wrote the theme for this film? Uh, yeah, I, I, I did it on piano. I wrote it for, with a guitar in mind, but I did it on, on piano. But I. I fool around a little bit, but I'm sort of a jack of all trades, master of none in that area. I don't, uh, uh, I haven't really built up any chops for uh, for playing in a long time. But it's fun for you, right? It is relaxing. Fun, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love music. I, I've love. I love all kinds of music. I love. Uh, I love jazz very much, and I love uh, country music uh, and pop music, swing. Actually, were David Frizzell and Shelley West boss there for a while. That's true. That's true. Vivo Records went on a on a wonderful uh, uh, a wonderful record. God made Oklahoma. That was mm -hmm. a was a great record. Record company boss Clint Eastwood. So they they liked that. That was a big <laughs> status thing for them in Nashville. What is your relationship with Clint Eastwood movies of the past? I know you must catch them when you dial around on television. I, d I don't linger with them uh, when I dial around on television because I've already seen them or lived them. Uh, so it's. It's a little different for me. I, I don't know what the relationship is. I, there is no relationship. That's that's the past, and I've I've done those movies, and it was a great time when we did it. Once in a great while, it's fun to sit down, look at one, and see how it holds up. How does this hold up? How would you do it if you were doing it today? Sometimes it surprises you. My favorite, and I have them on Laserdisc, and I do watch them periodically, are the Dirty Harry series. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, you know, one of the three or four films. As you look back on those things, I mean, he's retired now, I guess, in your mind, right? He's done. We're not seeing Harry anymore. He's out fly fishing somewhere. He's gone away. Harry is <laughs> gone to Hawaii. Hanging out in the hills, yeah. 
he was a good character, though, a very powerful character that meant a lot to a lot of people. Did you ever really figure out why everybody just bit into Harry so much? I think he, he was uh, he was a guy who uh, just fought the system, fought the bureaucracies of, uh, of today, and uh, and people people like that because everybody's frustrated about the bureaucracy of today. Every every time you go make an application and wait in a line for a government deal or a driver's license or uh, the post office or whatever, there's always we're always mired down in bureaucracy, and to have a guy who is speaking out for the average person, and also also he. Uh, also, he he was concerned about the the rights of victims of violent crime, which is a, a topic that never uh, is ageless. I got a kick out of seeing that the Philippine somebody on the Philippines wanted it as a training film, Dirty Harry. Yeah, well, there that was, was some rumor concept. of that. Yeah, there was some rumor of that back in the uh, back in the 70s that they were using. <laughs> It's a training film, but I your westerns have always been very honest. Unforgiven is an honest western, and that I think those people pretty much probably existed. Everybody in that film, and it wasn't really a Hollywood-looking thing like Miss Kitty and Gunsmoke was. I mean, these people are real in this movie. Well, we tried very hard to keep it that way. I tried very hard in the sets, in the the art direction. It, it was inherent in the script as far as the characters, uh, the the characters, the various flaws the characters all have, um, but. Uh, and also, I, I hired people who didn't care about wearing a lot of makeup and and what have you, and they were not afraid to be a little off. The anti-hero thing always comes up. I mean, you still want a guy that, unlike John Wayne, who will kill somebody rather coldly. Well, if if it's in the plot. Um the, the John in John Wayne's era, that was the the era where the hero always had to be the fair guy, and, and things were more black and white. Uh, I have always played uh, the Western hero as much more gray, uh, with with various facets and various weaknesses and uh, strengths, and maybe even certain uh, uh, meanness at times that uh, is just out of his environment, out of the environment he's living in. And necessity too. People didn't walk out in the street like they do on a television western and, and stand there back and forth and then wait for the other guy to draw a pistol on him. It's just not doesn't make sense. Do you have really? I know it's it's really hard to analyze what you do, but I mean, I was asking other actors about you know you're behind the camera and you're a certain personality. You jump out there, then you can shake really very quickly and get into something very emotional. You have any idea how you do that, or it just happens? It's it's just a question of technique, the uh, acting technique you've learned over the years, how to throw yourself into certain things, what thoughts to think to get yourself into into a certain state, and then also you have to learn to get out of it fast if you're uh, if you're if you're performing as a director as well. Did you ever carry any of these people home, Harry or uh, some of the Lone Stranger things, when you were younger? Yeah, I think when I was younger, but I try not to. You try not to. You try to, uh, you know, snap the switch and go out. And if you carry this stuff around with you, it's going to beat you to death. Well, I know that these are not the most pleasurable experiences for you, and I hope you've survived the day. Uh, the press. I, I have. Uh, some of us love you, you know. Well, the, the, like the the character of William Money, uh, if I had to carry that around with me and carry his demons along with me in my home life while I'm making the film, I'd be a pretty miserable person to get along with. Well, we're all loving you down in Nashville and all over. Thanks. Thank you. Tell everybody my, hello for you. Give my best to Nashville. Yeah, I will. From 1992, a chat with Clint Eastwood. I mean, at one point in, during that interview, yeah. I actually had so, sort of an out-of-body experience 
where I'm in the interview, yeah. but I can kind of see I'm like a drone shot. I'm like a blimp. <laughs> and I'm saying, I'm sitting here with Dirty Tom Harry. Clint he could pull that 44 out and go, go ahead, punk, make my day. Yeah, you Callahan, know I mean? right? Callahan was Oh, man, I was with Dirty Harry, Harry Callahan. <laughs> yeah. Even though he played so many other roles, oh, a pale yeah. rider I loved. Yeah. And there's so many movies. Oh, I good. The, my favorite movie star above all of them. Is I Clint agree. Eastwood. I agree, Jimmy. And there's a movie working. you haven't mentioned it yet, and I and I just I'll bring it up because it was one of my favorites. I saw Mule, eh, was fine, but Gran Torino was done later in life. That was great. I love that oh, movie. That was a good one too. Yeah, and super. he did. He's done too many to name, and I don't want to start reeling them off. But anyway, that was our conversation with him. Yeah. And cops. I like cop shows. I like Jack oh, Webb sure, yeah. on Dragnet. I yeah. liked. Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. I like cop shows. I've got friends that are cops. I'm from a legal family. And uh, this guy was one of my favorite cops. He played played Sipowitz on NYPD Blue. And uh, he was was not your normal cop, that's for sure. But a lot of cops sure loved him. And uh, his real name is Dennis Franz. I'm a real big fan of NYPD Blue. Now, how close is Dennis and Andy Sipowitz? Are they, is it more like noon and mid-afternoon or is it like night and day uh there, there's there's some aspects i mean you know i'm maybe i'm around 3 30 i'm about <laughs> 3 30 and six o'clock uh uh there's some aspects of andy that uh, that i have in me um, then there's also some very uh, different aspects about. You're a lot him. more fun than Andy. I think. Well, he's a pretty fun guy. He, I mean, he. I think. I. I. I wouldn't mind spending a, a day with that guy. I'd. I, I'd get a kick out of watching him operate, but uh, I enjoy. I enjoy things more than I think he allows himself to enjoy. What is it like? You know, you work your whole life to be successful in this business, and you finally get a character that you will never be able to get away from. I mean, Andy yeah. Sipowitz is like J.R. Ewing or something. I mean, yeah. I watch these shows every night almost when I go to bed on the FX Good, channel. And, uh, I mean, he is, you know, he's a television history, Mark. Uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, I'm honored by that. I mean, I consider it a, a rare honor. We all strive for an opportunity to get ourselves into a position that we can be somebody that, that has an impact on, on uh, a medium or, and, and a set of individuals. And, and uh, uh, I was lucky enough to, to get to be one of those guys. And, and uh, uh, so I'm, I'm very touched by it. And it's changed my life forever. And uh, I'm grateful for it. You're not going to let this guy die, are you? I got to find that out. Tell the writers not to let uh, that happen. I can't imagine that happening, okay, to tell good. you the truth. But I, I, they certainly hold the reins. I don't. Well, don't ask for more money or something, so they'll kill you off or something. You know. I'm going to ask for more money. Don't you? (laughs) Okay, ask for more money, (laughs) but don't ask for so much that they kill you or something. All right, do that for us, for the fans (laughs) that are out there. Um, Dennis Franz playing an angel. Did that get some people to raise their eyebrows a little bit? Typecasting. Uh, well, fortunately, this this is the kind of role that I was looking for to play opposite of, mm-hmm. of the Sipowitz guy, and and uh, and the roles that I usually do play, the the uh, you know the cops, the bad guys, the heavies, and and uh, I I've al- I always keep my eyes open for these kinds of roles, and uh, when this one came along, along with uh, the director Brad Silberling, who we had worked together on on NYPD Blue. So he knew me as a person, and he knew that I'm not necessarily Andy Sipowitz, or I'm I'm not a thug, or um, that I I could be capable of playing this guy. Mm-hmm. So he brought me in to meet Chuck Roven, the producer, and uh, uh, we had dinner, and and Chuck agreed that yes, I could. So this was a very welcome opportunity for me, and it is a chance for me to get to prove to a lot of people that there is another side to him, and I can play other other roles. Now uh, we both have similar. You think? Beautiful yeah. hairstyle. Yeah, I think so. I, uh, 
Did anyone ever want to get you to wear a wig, or did you ever think about doing that? I did in one film recently, uh, uh, Texas Justice. It wasn't a film, it was a, a miniseries mm -hmm. for television. What's it like with hair? Um, well, you know, I actually, I think I believed, I made myself believe after a period of time that it was my hair, that it actually became my hair. It wasn't a very attractive looking piece, I got to say that. I could, if, I, if I could pick out my own hair, it wouldn't have been that one. We're built for speed, Dennis. That's what yeah, we're built for. Aerodynamics. You know? Aerodynamics. That, you know? And what's this about Dennis Fran's sex symbol? I see this in a lot of stuff yeah, written about you. I mean, what's the deal? I mean, you have a lot of groupies hanging all around they, the studio and stuff. All they have to do is see this movie, and that'll dispel any of those. <laughs> no, they like this. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's an in thing right now to, yeah. to not have hair, or at least I'm trying to tell everybody. Not, have, not have hair, be fat, and yeah. show your ass. Yeah. <laughs> all right. yeah, you do that a lot, don't you? I wonder about that. <laughs> so are you going to be, you're going to work forever? You want to keep, are you still having fun doing work? I, I do have fun. I love the people I work with. You love going uh, to work every I've day? Been, yeah, I really Most do. Days. I have to say, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I got, I'm very lucky. Life is good, you know. I'm, uh, I, got a good, I got a good thing going. So um, I'm very happy. And uh, as, long as, as long as the people that I work with remain as happy and, and the work remains as good as it's at, I, I don't know uh, why I would have a desire to leave the show or for the show to end, you know. So um, if we Sometimes it's great to enjoy the moment, isn't it? It sure is. In that respect, I mean, I can, I can relate to Nathaniel Messenger in that respect. I'm in a very good spot, and I love life. Dennis Franz retired uh, after he played Sipwitz. You know, he, he was in some other movies. Oh, he yeah. was in yeah. The Die Hard Number 2, I think. He was, was he? the head of security at the airport. Did a couple other things, but, I mean, mostly, you know, he made a lot of money playing Sipwitz over and over again. Oh, yeah. And the residuals from them that he was able to retire when that was done. And he pretty much has stayed retired, I think, pretty much, and living in Idaho. You said and, that. Wait a uh, second. Like him back, a lot. Back up. What's the city he's living in? Because I should have known this, and I had no I idea. I think somewhere around Coeur d'Alene, but keeping a low that. profile. Definitely, because, you know, I've been in this area for 15, 20 years and never heard that. So that's a... Dennis Friends, yep. Great actor. Yep. Enjoyed him. I but anyway, he was a great... So I thought we'd just put two cops together for right. today. And, and why not uh, summarize that, too, as we back the blue i mean you and i both you come from uh, a legal family a history judge and and uh, you know military and all that stuff and uh, that is one thing uh, cops do not get uh, their fair shake no especially these days and, and i just want to mention we appreciate each and every one of them uh not necessarily yep. the tv cops as much <laughs> as the real well, ones you I, know mostly the tv <laughs> cops have been good you know you know they have yeah if you think about <laughs> it true. i mean yeah. <laughs> there's been i mean from uh, remember uh, mcleod oh yeah he rode the horse <laughs> He was a great cop. How about Marshall Dillon? What a great cop. You know, Kurt Russell, what a great cop in Tombstone. So whether they're the Matt Dillons or or Dirty Harrys or Sipowitz or whoever they are, God bless them all. And Sean Connery was a great cop in The Untouchables, and so was Kevin Costner in that one. So there's a theme here. I like Hollywood cops and uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, that'll do it for us today on Sweeping the Country, a vault episode, Clint Eastwood and Sipowitz. I mean, gosh, tell a friend. Next week, we'll do somebody else. Make sure you tune in. In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of Jimmy Carter, just head over to AskJimmyCarter.com. You can just click and email him anytime you'd like. He's got a YouTube channel, too. Or if you want to hit me up, WalkerDerek at gmail.com. Until next time, good day. Good day.